0: Hey guys, welcome back to the trough. Today I'm gonna to be talking about repentance. Uh, it's a word that you see used time and time again throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. It's commonly referred to as just the words repent or repentance, or you see to turn back, to turn towards. Um, so I'm gonna dive right in. There's multiple points to today as to like what it is, what you get, what what is the point of it. What are you repenting from? What are you repenting to? um, To really understand what it's all about. Uh, To start, I want to dive into what is repent. What is repentance? Um, Repent in itself, coming from the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, comes from the root word shuv, which simply means to turn back. So it's like making that U-turn in life. You're turning around You're headed in one direction, now you're gonna turn in the other one and you're gonna choose this path instead. It's more than just a feeling you receive. It's more than the guilt or regret or shame or whatever it is. It's an actual course correction that you're turning from what you did and are doing and going about a whole new set, a whole new standard, different statutes, morals, different everything is gonna be changed. But I don't want to get it confused, and we're going to touch on it later in this episode. That repentance does not equal renewing. They are two separate things that repentance brings renewing. It's not one and the same thing. So in Greek now, if you move forward, which the New Testament was written in Aramaic and Greek and different languages such as that. So you go back to the Spatugian, Um In Greek, it literally means changing of mind. So your your change of mind in the, in Hebrew this goes back also. So I'm gonna be switching back and forth between these two right now. Um, it goes from a change of mind that leads to a change in behavior. Repentance, the word in Hebrew, the like I said, the the root repent is shuv, to re, the word repentance, the action um, is to Shuva. Evolve uh, needs nail. So you're, into you're, teshuva is to return, to repent. So you are nailing, you're repenting back to the house of God, is how it would be used in the Old Testament. And I mean, really in the, the New Testament too, but this is the root of it all. So you are, that you're nailing yourself back into the house of God. You're repenting through, you're driving yourself into. The house of God. You, you, you're you taking that GPS and you're rerouting it back that way. Um, as we all came from there, we are all headed back there. This brings in my first scripture for you, which is found in Isaiah 55, uh, six through seven, and it reads: "Seek the Lord while he may be found; call on him while he is near. Let the wicked man forsake his own way, and let the un- and the unrighteous man his own thoughts." And let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion into our God, for he will freely pardon. Repentance does not mean renewing. Repentance does not mean forgiveness. These are two things that are commonly bound together. That is, and, and the essence of it all, is kind of heretical. Because you do not... There's nowhere in the Bible that that anybody has ever said or done just ask for forgiveness. That's not in the Bible. Um, You repent from unbelief to belief in God. And there's many of us that believe in God but don't believe in his statutes and don't believe in his words and have questions about it. And that is normal. That doesn't go away after you, you know, bring into your heart, you know, you have a true repentance, a true repentance of hearts, a heart change, a mind change, a behavior change, to walk in that light. Um, but it does not equal forgiveness. We repent from our unbelief to belief, and because of our belief, which is the action, forgiveness is brought in, which is just by the grace and the mercy of God. Uh, so when we repent, when we when we forsake or we forget and we 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 move forward and just don't remember we we have that clean slate from our our wicked ways from our thought our, our bad thoughts our, our bad past our egypt life as I like to call it um, and we seek the Lord and we and he has he has compassion on us he he feels for us he shows his love his grace his mercy towards us and he freely pardons. He freely wipes your, your, your slate clean. Your robe is white as snow. You're new. You're a new creation in Christ. That is repentance. That is what it means to repent, to do repent, the action of repent, bringing on the forgiveness of sins. And to understand the why for it all. Um, if you do, and I'm hoping many of you who listen are either believers already and are walking the the, the narrow path, or if you are not and you're a believer but you're unsure, and you're not ready to, I hope today's episode can really help you find that that ground to move forward in a relationship, not a religion, a relationship with Christ, but. F- to continue, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. So these are the next two verses following that. Um, it reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts, declares the Lord. So he's speaking in this, saying that his thoughts And his ways are like the heavens, which is the heavens are just the skies. So it'd be like space and the skies and all that kind of stuff. How much higher they are from the earth and the earth in the Old Testament was referred to the dry land on the ground. So how how far apart those are so much more are his ways, his thoughts higher than ours. He's the one that created us. He's the one that created everything around us. So for him, his ways, his thoughts, his holy and good thoughts and ways are much higher than we could ever have. That's why we need him. That's why we need his spirit to dwell inside of us, to have that kind of interaction, to have that kind of fruit to walk forward in that kind of manner. So once we come to an understanding a recognizing that, you know, I clearly didn't make myself, you know, I clearly, there is a creator out there. Then, and we recognize that He is our creator, then, then we understand, we start to see why and how He created us and how beautiful it really is. And that truly His ways, His thoughts are higher than ours and that we should follow those instead of our own because those are the way that He designed for us to be prior to sin entering the world, prior to sin entering our minds and our flesh. He had a set system, a set creation order, and sin corrupted it, perverted it, and totally distorted everything. But the good thing is, is he's patient, and he's kind with us, and his goodness is what leads us to repent. We see in Romans 2.4, um, and this is speaking about judgment, And it leads into, or do you disregard the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness, God's goodness, it leads you to repentance. We don't come to repentance on our own without God's divine interaction in some way or another, whether it be this podcast, whether it be you reading the Bible on your own, hearing the music, seeing signs, going to church one day, hearing a message, whatever it may be, he uses people and things in miraculous ways to bring us closer to Him and bring us to repentance. Um, But it is Him meeting us, not us finding Him. He is coming after us. His goodness is running after us. It's chasing us all down. And eventually, you're going to get tired of running that race away from Him. And it's going to bring you to The repentance and to bring you to the belief in Him and His ways and what He says about you and the world uh, we live in. But moving forward now, um, to understand repentance, I want to touch on what, what we are repenting from first. And that is first and foremost, unbelief. So, a biblical repentance is just repenting from unbelief to belief. A, a normal doubt, uh, which brings into a, a, like I said earlier, a, a change of mind leading to a change in behavior. So we have to understand that our mind and our, our behavior prior to is one way, was walking one path, and our behavior and mind and our, our, our thoughts and repenting after the repenting and after coming to God are a whole different way. You're living by the Spirit, being guided by His light, Um, which has two totally different roads uh, in two different directions. It's kind of like you a picture you're on the throughway and you're headed one way real fast, real fast, and you know you have that median and you got to hit that quick U-turn and you got to go through it and now you're headed back the other way. That is... That is essentially the easiest picture to give um, for what it means to repent um, and to turn toward God. So, first and foremost, to repent from, that is, you're, you're repenting from your unbelief to belief, and it's a change in mind and behavior from one way to another. So the mind and the behavior of the flesh acts accordingly in one way and of the spirit another, and of the flesh. I'm going to give you two quotes here. Um, you we're going to repenting from Romans thirteen thirteen speaks of it. And it says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. The first part of this quote is actually really, really loud. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Most of us don't go out and about and just doing wicked schemes or planning our iniquity or evil things in the day. You know most people like to do it when the lights are off they, when nobody's around, when nobody's looking, the daytime sheds light on everything and we tend to as as people, even after believing you know it's like a faith test more or less about hiding your sin, hiding your shame and your guilt and whatnot not only from other people, but from God. And when you do it, it just builds up this like dirt pile continuously con- in more and more in your heart and in your mind. And it just makes you feel continuously dirty and, and hopeless. Um, but it takes faith and it takes courage to say, you know what? I'm going to bring it to God. I'm going to show him. Um, and I'm going to put it in the light. And he, like he says, everything that is done in the dark will be exposed. Um, what our things that we do in the dark will be brought in the daytime and like we like everyone that when everyone can see we tend not to act out in, in un like approved more or less not only culturally but for us that are walking with Christ um, not and, and unspiritually like an unholy more or less ungodly ways we don't tend to walk that way in the daytime so others can see we do it at night when there's barely anyone around or anyone at all around so that nobody can point a finger nobody can say anything about what we're doing. So walk properly as in the daytime. So to change from that old life, you're going to be walking properly. And that would be in Romans 13:14 it says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, flesh to gratify its desires. So our flesh has desires. Our flesh has the desires of, you know, like it says in 13 Orgies and drunkenness, you know, you're now engaging in large groups of people that are partying or, or, you know, walking of, as it goes on to say, sexual immorality and sensuality, which is, you know, pleasures of the flesh, pleasures of our, of our desires, of our flesh, of, of, not only of just sex and all kinds of different stuff on that matter. But into, then it goes into saying in quarreling and jealousy also, and quarreling is just fighting. It's it's pointless fighting. You're arguing pretty much over nothing. You're arguing whether it's good or bad. It's not worth it, and it's not good to be jealous because jealous is a is a fruit of covetousness, and to be to be coveting is one of the the Ten Commandments in itself. So to avoid these things, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know it sounds weird when he when he puts it like that, and it takes a minute, and it's like, and then he says, "Put it on, put him on." And by doing so, you make no provision for the flesh. So, like, Jesus didn't make provision for the flesh. He didn't give in for temptation. He was the perfecter of our faith. He was the perfect innocent man. Like, he did that. He made no provision for the flesh. Let us also do it. Let us not gratify the desires. Let us not give in to the desires of our flesh. Let us walk away from it. As it says in Galatians 15, 24, Crucify the flesh and live by the Spirit. That is how you walk away, you're repenting to, from, and repenting to. You're repenting from the unbelief, and by unbelief you, you are giving in and gratifying the fleshly desires that we have, and by repenting to belief you are putting on Jesus, you're putting on his ways, his statutes, and how he walked, which is a whole other thing which we can get into, which is the Sermon on the Mount, um, is a good way of understanding how he walked, and how he expects us to, and how he... He will help us too. Um, and like Isaiah 41:13, there he's, he lends out his right he grabs us by his, our right hand and he walks with us and he helps us. Um, but that is how we are to, to move forward, coming from and going to. Another one is going to be in Galatians 5:19 through21. It reads, "The acts of the flesh are obvious. sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery idolatry and sorcery, hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, rivalries, divisions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So that first part there is so much to unpack. I'm not going to unpack it all because it could go on and on and on. we could be here a whole half hour just sitting here unpacking every single part of it and what it means and going through scripture for it. But sexual immorality and impurity run hand in hand. I mean, to be pure would be to avoid those things. To walk blameless would be able to avoid that, all of these things. But to be, have purity, purity culture, that whole thing, it is very important. It's a covenant with God, with another person, that when you both are ready, you move forward in that. That's, like I say, a whole other topic. But it is important to understand the dangers of it because, like Paul writes, sexual immorality is the only sin you can sin against yourself. Um, moving forward, idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is one of the biggest covered things in the entire Bible. Idolatry is simple. Whatever you are putting ahead of God, in front of God, on your heart, instead of God, is an idol. Whether you're bowing down and worshiping it, or you're choosing it, you can make an idol out of sports, out of video games, out of food out of shopping. It, you can make an idol literally out of anything. Like the Israelites would literally make idols out of wooden statues. Random things. Didn't matter what it was. They were making idols out of them. They got punished for it. They, they and A good example is in Ezekiel uh, chapter 8, verse 12. It says, Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room of pictures? they say, the Lord does not see us, the Lord has forsaken the land. This goes on to show right there that they're going into their closet, they're going into the dark, they're sitting there so that nobody can see them, so that they can maintain their reputation. They're not putting it into the light. They're going into their closet worshiping their idols, which he goes on a couple of chapters later to say, repent from those abominations of that you are committed, that you have these idols. Idolatry is a very, very serious topic to God. It's a very, very serious topic that we as believers also need to take seriously. Um, to continue, sorcery. Sorcery witchcraft and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, your modern day um, spirituality tends to be a form of sorcery. Witchcraft is a very, very broad um, title for many things. I mean, if you really wanted to get down into it, finding a penny on the ground, seeing its heads up, and believing that that's going to bring you good luck is witchcraft in itself. Like I say, it is a very, very broad topic that it could go on for hours and hours, but I do encourage everyone to look into such things so that you can better walk with the Lord so you know what practices are bad for you. and You're going to realize that it's a lot worse out here than you really ever imagined. Um, but moving forward, hatred, discord, jealousy, and rage... Rivalries, divisions, factions, and envy—those all go pretty much one in another. They're all separate. Think that I think that an umbrella term for all that would be covetousness and, and anger, um, because you're envying, you're you're dividing. When um, the house divided against itself can never stand. You're rivaling. You know, you're trying to outdo one another just to spite each other, to to hold higher ground on each other. Raging and jealous, covetousness, um, you know, your discord and hatred. You're spreading lies amongst each other. You're gossiping in that sense. You're hating one another. We're not putting on love because love covers a multitude of sins, as it's mentioned. It's that kind of stuff that we want to avoid. And like I said earlier, drunkenness and orgies and the like. He goes on to say, I warn you, as I did before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that kind of warning is like, it's a firing shot that these are the things to avoid. And if you don't avoid them and we don't come to repentance, I'm not saying that you're going to be spotless after coming to Christ. Everyone still battles. I know personally I battle with multiple things. I know many people who are battle with like things like depression, anxiety. The only difference is with Christ, you're not doing it alone you're not alone, you're never alone and that is the feeling of hope and trust and love and faith that you will not receive out of anything, any idol, anything you set before God in your life. But if we read on Galatians that was Galatians 5:19 through 21. if you go into Galatians 5:22 through25, he speaks on the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. So, how? So, we are repenting from all those things. And coming to the belief of a mind by that repenting, that change of belief. Now, like I said, repentance brings on a change in belief. It changes a change of mind, and that brings on the renewing. So, the repenting from is the old habits. Repenting to is the renewing portion of what uh, repentance brings. What it what it can what it, it encourages and does for us. It really leads to that renewing, which is a fruit of the spirit. It produces the love and joy and peace. And a lot of us, I think this is one that trips me up a lot because I can remember prior to it, I brought lots of joy. I mean, not to like, you know, this sounds conceited in itself, but it's not. I'm saying like, I, I used to bring joy to plenty of people, plenty of events. I was, I was funny. I was a guy like that. So like, I always tripped up on that, but it's not a true joy. It's a joy that who only certain people are bringing out of it. Not to say that you don't have fun with your friends now, or fun with yourself, or fun with family, or whatever it is that brings joy. But it's a different type of joy. It's a godly joy that is everlasting and brings peace and love to the heart. One, by by walking in the fruit of the Spirit, bringing peace can bring joy, love, and kindness. One fruit of it brings the rest of them to encircle and encamp around your heart. So, I mean, patience and kindness, these are all things that are fruit of the spirit, the goodness and faithfulness, all these things. And then it goes like he's like I said, he goes on to say, We've crucified the flesh with when we when we belong to Christ Jesus, because then Like in Colossians 3, it speaks, it says that we are ourselves, our new creation. We are of a new self. We are hidden in him. So we belong to him. We're hidden in him. We have crucified our flesh with its passions and its desires. So we're no longer gratifying. We're no longer giving into the flesh. We're no longer providing for it and doing what it wanted. But we're running everything. We're taking every thought captive. And we're putting it through the refiner of Jesus and we're moving forward to, and if it does not produce the fruit of the Spirit, if it does not produce a holy, godly fruit, we are not moving with it. We are not continuing with that thought. And just like everything else in our lives, and I think this is one of the biggest things that I struggled with for a long time, um, is understanding that sinful nature is before the cross. And by that I mean, after you have come to believe in God, after you know, you've know, you believed and you've started walking, when we sin, it is not our sinful nature. We no longer have that. It's us. We have to unlearn what we've been taught and have engraved in our brain as a thought and an action, how to act, how to react, how to think. We have to replace it With a new thought, a new action, a new reaction method. You can't just take away, I can't just stop thinking one way and leave an empty space. Something else is going to consume that empty space and it's going to bring out a forte in that area. So I have to take that space, empty it out of the old and produce a new thought, a new action, a new way that is Christ-like and magnifies him in me in that space in my mind and my heart kind of kind of like ordeal so if you can imagine just taking like and like draining out a part of your brain of the thought like i used to think like it was good to try to one up everybody but now i'm going to move in this and realize that i don't need to one up anybody because there's no room for boasting Anymore, I have nothing to boast about, so I don't need to worry. If someone outdoes me, instead I'm going to change that action, I'm going to change that reaction, I'm going to change my thought process to congratulating and being happy for them instead of continuously overworking myself to try and outdo them. It's something like that kind of shift, kind of mind shift and change and behavior change that brings on fruit of the spirit. So we're taking our Egypt and the Pharaoh and the chariots that are chasing us out. We're taking Egypt and we're coming to Christ. And we're, we're going to the promised land, which in the big shape of things is heaven, which is our hope. But in this life, we are coming to a point where we run from that. We're being guided out of that. And then as it seems that when you have no escape, when e- Egypt is coming back for you, trust God to part the sea like he parted it for Moses, that you can walk through it, that you can run through it, and it will not hurt you, that this will not come for you. Egypt no longer has rain on you. What happened to Egypt in the end when the Israelites trusted God to part the sea there? He closed the sea on them. He closed it on Egypt. He's going to take your Egypt, your land of the the sinful nature and, and all the bad things, the shame, the guilt, all the things that hold you back. He's going to take those chains. He's going to break them. He's going to do everything in his power, which is everything. And he's going to take the sea and close it on it and shut its mouth forever. Whether in this life or the next, you are going to experience that shalom. In this meantime, while we have it here, we get to experience shalom by the spirit he has given to us after he had died and rose again. He promised us his spirit and we have been granted that. And our full shalom, our full, full, hello, full, full peace, my gosh, is in the next life. But without that, repenting and coming to Christ, we don't have that that hope. We don't have that 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 peace that we can hope for. That love, that everything we can hope for. So take Egypt, we're repenting from that. And moving into the hope that Christ brings us. And that is a renewal in this life. Not only a renewal in mind and spirit here, but an eternal life with him. So I've pretty much covered it. But I want to give you some more scripture on this about what repenting does. And that it leads to renewing and it leads to purifying Now, for, for our first scripture I'm going to give you is 1 John 1, 8, 9. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are made pure. We are made whole. We are washed clean of everything of our past. In Ephesians 4:20 20 through 24 it says, But you did not learn Christ in this way. Indeed, you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. I want to stop right there. In our old, our former manner of life, our old self is corrupted. This is why it's important, like Jesus talked to Nicodemus, to be born again. Um, With lusts of deceit. Lust is more than just a sexual term. Lust is to, to really be attracted towards, to have that attraction at, to long for and desire something really, really bad. You're desiring the flesh, the old self, all those things that of the flesh is deceitful. It lies to you. It gives you false fulfillment. It's like for me, I remember being a heavy heavy drunk, if you will. And like no matter how many times I got drunk, I needed to get drunk again. Or when I was a stoner, I no matter how many times I would go and smoke, there was always I needed more. I needed not only to get higher and higher and higher, but the next day I needed more and more and more and I would try to outsmoke myself every single day i needed it every single day it's false fulfillment all the pornography how many times do you have to keep doing it over and over and over before you realize it's not going to fulfill you it's not it's never going to 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 bring you the peace and the the joy and the, the good feeling that that good hearty feeling that we all desire but the one that lasts not one that just comes and goes one that lasts forever and I'm not saying that with Christ, I there's no bad days. There's plenty of bad days. But we have the hope to hold on to that we can just bring it to him. And he will turn our mourning into laughter. Our crying the night before comes the joy in the morning. That whole Bible verse there, you know, it, it's true. It doesn't even just mean that we have to sleep it off. It means that bring it to him. And he's going to turn the tears, he's going to wipe them away, he's going to turn those tears into cries of laughter. That is who he is. But to continue on, it says, And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. When we are renewed in mind, and that is purified and sanctified, it is the will of God on our lives. The will of God is more than just the plan and the purpose He has for you in your career field or your family field or whatever it may be. It is also to be sanctified and to be made holy and righteous and justified before God. That is part of His will also that is very overlooked because we all just want to know the future. Like He's some genie and fortune teller and not saying that He does not provide for those who ask and who seek. But he also has more than just that as part of his will for us um, living here. So we're called to put on the new self, and the new self is mentioned in Colossians 3. And to put on the new self is to put to death what is earthly in us. And this is in, in 3 5. Um, we put to death the, everything that is earthly in us, which is all the things I've mentioned, like the immorality, immorality, impurity, you know evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, which is a very, very interesting line in itself. Um, And it goes on and he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, which is the same language we're seeing here, with its practices. Practices are are transgressions, um, because there's sin, transgression, and iniquity. Sin is to miss the mark. Transgression is to practice sin, and iniquity is to you practice sin so much you are just bad at doing anything good at that point. Um, so put to put to, put away those the transgressions, and put on your new self, which is being renewed in His in renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. By putting on this, we are God's chosen ones and holy and beloved. And he gives us compassionate hearts and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience to bear with one another, to forgive one another, to put on love. And it goes on and on and on. And it says, and even let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which we were called in one body, and be thankful. All these things are fruits of the Spirit are fruits of renewing in our minds and it brings us ability to bear fruit which I mentioned earlier in Galatians 5.22 which is the fruits of the Spirit speaks about it in Luke 24 that Christ's suffering and rising from the dead and all this was in His name is repentance and forgiveness of sins so in His name we repent And in his name we are forgiven. And in his name we are renewed and purified and sanctified. It's just a constant cycle that everything revolves around him. But moving forward, I want to read a passage from Ezekiel, which is really the reason that it was spoken to me. I've been talking to God about doing something about this for a little while now. Um... And he really spoke to me, because I've been I've been diving into Ezekiel a lot lately. Um, and he, he really spoke to me in Ezekiel 18. And the first quote I saw was in Ezekiel 18.20, And the soul who sins shall die. And then if you move forward to Ezekiel 20, it says, So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes which are his rules his laws and made known to them my rules by which if a person does them he shall live. So that that was the first thing that really struck out to me is this one who sins dies and one who does his statutes lives. It's so and there that misses that middle ground here and in the middle of those two two lines in itself there is a meaty section that speaks about it all. And it tells you in, a, in 1821, But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. That doesn't mean a fleshly death, it means a spiritual death here. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. Our slates are wiped clean. And everything is new in us. We are made new. Okay, it continues on in, t- in line 23. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his ways and live. God, I think the biggest misconception and the biggest thing is, when, is people who believe that God wants death uh, because we live in a world of death. And it's not what he wanted. It's not his intentions. And and for all people who are not followers, his intentions for them, which is not very good or very truthfully and rightfully displayed by the church, is that he wants them in the kingdom too. He doesn't just want the already believers. He wants the not believers yet in the kingdom too. And the problem with the church today, and I'm not going to sit here and complain about it. I'm not going to sit here and rant about it. But the problem we face the most is that everyone does things on their own accord and does not do things out of love, which was his greatest commandment. And by not doing them, showing the grace, extending grace and extending mercy and showing love, it takes the wicked and pushes them. and takes the wicked. and takes the non-believers yet Oh, farther away from God's heart and farther away from ever coming to the truth. To clarify once again, God does not take pleasure in death and he does not take pleasure in people choosing the opposite of what he has for them. It goes on further down. Said in in, in 1830, and it says, Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Turn from transgression, turn from the practice of sin that we just saw in Colossians, and let, unless, unless iniquity will be your ruin if you do not do so. Iniquity is just being bad at doing good. Like I said earlier, it's bad being just so far gone off of it that you've practiced it so well that you are nowhere near the heart of God anymore. And iniquity is more and more and more of what we see today. But turn from it. Turn from that practice. Because if you don't stop practicing that sin, it's going to... Keep on hardening and hardening and hardening your heart and your mind away from God and the plan he has for you in your life. It says, Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. By casting them away, we are given that new heart. We are given the new spirit. Jesus was a carpenter. And not just a carpenter like one that did woodworking. Back then the big thing was was working with in the quarry, working in the stones like industry. And he was able to carve stones. So when you see a heart of stone written, a hard heart, it's not... G, picture Jesus with the chisel. Not just Jesus with the hammer. Jesus has the chisel. He's doing more than just building things out of wood. He's doing things with stone hearts. He's building up. That's why he is the cornerstone. He is the stumbling block. He's the stumbling stone. He is all these things because that's what he did. He is known for that. He is known for creating a new heart. Let him chisel away and take what he must and give you that new heart. And he gives you his spirit to live with, to guide you, and to help you in this life. Goes on to say, and this is, once again, this is God speaking, and he says, Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Life abundantly comes from God. Spiritual life eternally comes from him alone. And it comes through believing in what Jesus did for us when he was alive when he came in his ministry and his dying on the cross and his resurrection on the third day, coming back up into Pentecost and giving us the Spirit. He is literally in this passage, God is pleading with Israel, saying, don't do this. Turn from the transgression. Turn from the sin. It will ruin you. I want you in my house, at my feast. Turn to me and live which brings on the celebration of repentance it sounds crazy and weird but repentance is truthfully it is celebrated in the kingdom it's, it's celebrated in heaven uh, in Luke ten fifteen, we say in the same way I tell you there is a joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents and again in Luke 10, 6-7, through 7, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. He has lost and found, he's left leaving the, the one for the 99. It's like the prodigal son. In the same way, I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous ones who do not need to repent. That is not to say that those of us or those who did not repent and we have been with Christ all along throughout their journey of, the, of, of walk of life here, do not have rejoicing in heaven. But he's saying that the, the, the prodigal son who comes home, the lost sheep that finds grace, that was blind, can now see. There's so much rejoicing amongst the angels in heaven because of just that one, that one soul, that one lost soul who is now found. It's, a, it's like a miracle. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing when, when non-believers become believers and turn to Christ and fully embrace the plan and the, the, the gifts he has, the promises he's made for you, the promises he made to Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and all the prophets before still stand today because he was the same yesterday as he is today as he will be Tomorrow. This brings me into some of my last points. I'm going to get wrapping up on this right now. Um, the first one I'm going to talk about is godly grief from knowledge, brings a change in mind, leading to change in behavior, and obedience to God. Once we understand His ways are better, and we see this in a Ephes- or Ecclesiastes, um, chapter one, verse eighteen. Ecclesiastes is is one of my favorite books. Um, It's very dark, I understand that, uh, but it's definitely very, very rich in in wisdom because, I mean, it was written by Solomon who was one of the wisest um, people to ever walk the face of the earth. But it reads, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So godly grief from knowledge, from understanding knowledge, or understanding God, and seeing him and knowing about him and the wisdom he brings and the knowledge he brings and the conviction that the Spirit brings, and understanding his ways are better, it begins to tear us apart, knowing that our sin is what makes us broken. Knowing that what our sin has done and produced between us and God when we are without Christ in our life the enmity between us. The love, the mercy, the patience, the kindness, yes, are there. But there's this enmity until we have the acceptance of Christ into our life. Christ didn't just die for the forgiveness of sins. He died because of sin, but he died and he came and he died because of the separation that sin has brought. We were never meant to be separated from our Creator. We were never meant to be separated from God. And that is why he had to come and die for the forgiveness of sins so that we could once again, one day, on that glorious day, be reunited with him in heaven. But those, so once we gain the knowledge, we understand God, it brings us this this sorrow, this hopelessness. I mean... It, it brings us out, like a, a, a dirty feeling, a lower, a lowless a, a lowliness and a contrite spirit. You know you start abusing yourself, you start wondering what is the point of things. There's no real purpose. You don't know what your purpose is. You don't know anything like y- your spiritual life is non-existent per se. Uh, you don't know what comes next. You're always in fear of things. You're you're guilty. You're shameful. The things you do in the dark, you can't tell people. You can't speak out about. You can't think about because you just want to ignore it. And we all have those things no matter what. If you were to sit in a, sit alone for a week with yourself, you would find out so much about yourself that you truly are like, why am I like that? You wouldn't know what to do if you were to just sit and examine and focus on your being, and what you've done. But he's the one. He comes to us and says, I'm here for you. I want to forgive you. Just accept me into your heart. Accept me into your life. I'm going to change you. I'm choosing you. He chooses every single one of us. We each have a purpose, and we each have a plan um, for the kingdom. But knowing our sin, it makes us broken, and our hearts become heavy, and it becomes like a burden that we just can no longer carry. And he's there to repair us, to give us that new heart, to chisel away the dirt and the stone around ours, the hardness around it, and give us a new one. We were chosen for more than what just plain old life has given us. You were made to fly. We were not made to just... Be here and this is it. Like that's the end of it. Like at the end of the days, you know, wipe the dust from your hands, and say, All right, that was good. That was done. Glad it's over. And we're made for so much more. And and I know there's gonna be some confusion on this one. And I'm here to help anyone and explain further. Like the repent for the for the kingdom of heaven is near is or the kingdom of God is at hand and all that kind of stuff. And once you understand that, you know, Jesus is the kingdom, um, then you understand why we're repenting. Repenting because he is near, he's come draw he's drawing near, and that brings us back to like Isaiah fifty five. It's a constant full circle understanding of how God works, not only in his writing, but in his action and who he is. And if there's anyone that needs help understanding anything at all, or wants to learn more, or wants to to re- need someone to reach out to to help them, I'm here. Um, I'm I'm gonna be available to help anyone who wants to know more. Even if it if you're 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 unsure of things, and you're like I don't really want to repent. Like I don't really want to like you know talk about that kind of stuff. I'm just interested in knowing more. I can help you to the best of my ability to see more, to understand and grasp Scripture and grasp um, as much of it as I can help you with. uh, My own understanding and theology um, background and knowledge. Um, But like, I just want to read this one last thing. Um, This is something that was read to me recently and it really stuck with me. Because it really changed the way I view the gospel at hand. That the gospel is not just for the forgiveness of sins. It's not just because we needed a Savior. Um, but there's a hope that comes from the gospel. And you know, you always hear, Jesus is our hope. Um, but you never understand what the hope is for. And I want to read this. It's out of Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. That is the hope that we long for, that we wait for patiently in the second coming. That is our future as believers. And I don't know about you, but if you haven't decided yet and you're on the fence, I think that's a pretty good promise to to rope you in. And I hope it is, and I pray it will be something that sits with you and helps you understand why this life is not something that we just only need to live for. There's so much more, and it's all about Jesus. I hope today's today's message was, was helpful for those who believe and not believing yet or are on the fence and whatnot. Like I said a million times at this point, reach out to me if you need anything. Um, my Instagram, you know, text me whatever it may be, um, and I can I can help you understand anything further more. Today is the day of salvation. Keep that in mind. Thank you guys. Hope you have a good one. Uh, and I'll be uh, putting out a new one soon about um, actually it's going to be about idolatry. So. I hope you guys checked this out and enjoyed this one, and are going to be waiting for that one too. God bless.